It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. AJC Access Atlanta is sponsored by Northside Hospital Cancer Institute, built to beat cancer. Hello, Atlanta. Thanks for joining us. I'm Shane Harrison, your host for the AJC's newest podcast, Access Atlanta. Later on, I'll give you some events that are happening around town over the next 10 days. But first, we're going to visit with one of our reporters, uh, Nedra Roan, who does the Talk of the Town blog, is here to share a story with us. Welcome, Nedra. Thanks, Shane. Uh, so, what have you brought us this week? Uh, well, I spoke to a very interesting gentleman named Jim Hill. He's an artist originally from New York. He grew up in Brooklyn in the Fort Greene Projects. And um, he <laughs> developed a very interesting style for his art just based on um, his uh, level of poverty. He didn't have access to uh, certain art tools, traditional tools. And so he made his own. Right. So it's sort of like an urban folk art, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, he kind of he looked out of his window and he based all of his artwork on what he was seeing in his neighborhood. Um, he used paper. Um, cut up in small pieces to create mosaics and that's how he got color because he didn't have paint he didn't have you know chalk Um, he would burn matchsticks to do charcoal drawings cool Um, but then you know ultimately uh, later he had opportunities to go to a traditional art school and learn some of the techniques that um, you know that he still uses today right well um so he did he spend he spent a lot of time in New York, but he's now here in Atlanta, right? Yeah, he moved here uh, quite a while ago. He he has been a teacher traditionally, but he um, <laughs> had a very interesting path uh, to Atlanta. He was a top model hmm. in New York for quite some time, <laughs> right? And he worked for Ford Models. Yeah, he could be seen on billboards all over the city. Wow! And had this moment of reckoning with himself where he decided that he couldn't appear on ads for liquor or cigarettes or uh, he he calls it womanizing. You know, he Uh, was with lots of women in these pictures and he said it was so distinct from who he was and so different from the message he was trying to share 
through his art and his other work that he just couldn't do it anymore. So that ended. He uh, then ended up working with homeless people in uh, New York and, you know, worked his way to Atlanta. Right. Right. So and and he's had a little controversy with some of his art, right? Yeah, he sure did. So there's uh, a particular piece of artwork um, that was based on uh, an image that John Lewis, uh, Congressman uh, John Lewis, had talked about. He had this piece called the After Church Barbecue. And it's a picture of an African-American man who's being burned um, after uh, being dismembered and disfigured by a group of white men. And um, when he first put it on display in New York, it was in a building, a state building, as part of a larger display. And people were offended when they saw it. And they actually, you know, some groups would cover it up um, and put a cloth over it so that their children wouldn't see it or they wouldn't see it. So he, you know, he felt kind of bad about that. He said he shoved it under the bed for years and didn't pull it out until he got here. And he um, is showing it now at this photo gallery on the West Side. He recently showed his work here in town, right? Right. That was the first time that he unveiled uh, the after church barbecue painting in many years. He had been keeping it under his bed and he showed it to uh, groups here that have ventured to Douglas Stratton photography on Atlanta's West Side. Right. And uh, you can't see his art necessarily in galleries right at the moment, but you can go to uh, the internet and find it. Yeah. He has a website, it's jimhilljr.net. And um, there's also contact information on there where you can reach him directly and certainly view the work in person if you're local. Right, because he's he's also, um, you know, selling his work. Um, He's raising money. He also does some charitable work as well, right? Yeah, he started this back in New York uh, when he was working with homeless. And his whole goal was to do the modeling and earn $15,000 a day so that he could launch his own charitable home. And he wanted to have a place where men, women, and children could stay and, um, you know, get their lives in order. He wants to do that here in Atlanta. And so that's part of why he's showing his work again and selling it with the hopes of ultimately building Jim Hill House. Cool. Well, that's certainly an admirable goal. Yes. Ambitious, uh, but admirable. Yes. And um, so anyway, um, so Nedra spoke with Jim Hill about his work and about his charitable work as well. Um, And so here is her interview. This is Nedra Roan with the AJC interviewing Jim Hill. Mosaic artist. Morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I won't complain. Okay. Well, the first question I want to ask you is tell me just a little bit about how you got started in art. What was your first experience with art? Well, my first experience was going to John Jay High School, and I was, they really loaded me up with a lot of art equipment, okay? But before that, I didn't have the equipment. And it was my uncle who was an artist who saw my gift because I used to I used to use matchsticks, you know, to use charcoal. And I would uh, how could you say it? I would uh, resurrect ballpoint pens, you know, and I was just working, but I didn't really have any equipment. But my uncle, he encouraged me to just continue because he saw I had a gift. And when I went to. Uh, high school, and I saw all the uh, different types of supplies. I just went paint crazy. I fell in love with painting. 
Tell me a little bit about your process with mosaic art, because that's something that really has become your signature. Oh, yeah. Well, what happened was that I was offered a scholarship, and when the scholarship didn't come through, uh, I didn't have any more paint. You know, I couldn't afford it. We were on a meal ticket mission. There was nine in the family. So I said to myself, this is not going to stop me from painting. So I went to Brooklyn Heights, uh, and I started to look around and I saw recycle magazines. And with the recycle magazines, I said, oh, you know what? I'll use the color from the magazines. So I took all the complementary colors out, all the supplementary colors, and I just started putting them in large jars. I had reds, blues, greens, orange, and I was just, okay, now I can paint. You know, I don't have... Uh, the pearl uh, paint, uh, oil painting uh, paint, but I have paper, and that's what I started with. Mm-hmm. And would you draw before you, you started doing that, or how did you compose yes. your figures? Yes, mm-hmm. first of all, I would, uh, I, I would go around the community with uh, a sketch pad, and I would draw people. And from the people that I drew, I would eventually bring it home and uh, draw it on a piece of cardboard. And then I would put the paper uh, to it. I mean, like, the first love was anything that was going on in my neighborhood, I wanted to depict it. You know, all the joy, all the uh, pain, all the fightings, all everything. I just wanted to put it on paper. Right. And where did you live? What neighborhood was it? I lived in the Fort Green Projects. Mm-hmm. Um, they were broken up into three sections. It was Farragut, Ingersoll, and Walt Whitman. And each one was warring against each other. And I figured that I would draw the war. <laughs> so you, what, what do you remember for some of your early pictures? Well, some of my early pictures were uh, actual street fights. You know, um, I saw people thumping on each other. And I said, hey, listen, this is so exciting. I got to put it on paper. <laughs> so that was my first thing. And then I would see... Uh, Little kids, uh, girls jumping rope, and I started to draw that. You know, then I saw the basketball that we were playing, and I started to draw that. You know, so it was a lot of fun, but I was depicting real life in my area. Mm-hmm. And now, when did you decide that you wanted to bring your art to other people, and how did you go about doing that? Well, uh, first of all, Because my work was uh, depicting our struggle, I kept the work under the bed. And you say our struggle, meaning African-American? The African-American struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, the poverty, everything. I was just drawing it, you know. If there was a homeless man on the corner, I was drawing him. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, all that was under my bed because people would say, no one wants that truth on their walls. But one time they had this particular art contest. It was called the Weeksville Art Contest. And Weeksville is the oldest black section in Brooklyn. So I decided, okay, I will compete. And I put my art in it. And to my shock and amazement, I won first prey. How old were you then? When when was that? Oh, I was about, mm, I would say, 20. Okay. You know, and um, then Mandela was in jail, and um, the UN had, um, they wanted us to, artists, to do posters, and I did a poster, and you know, they 
gave me an award, a certificate for doing the poster, you know, but um, it was all about freeing Mandela and, you know, I wasn't looking towards or for anything. I just wanted to uh, do something to free Mandela, mm -hmm. okay? And that was the bottom line. Was it validating though as an artist to win awards and to have people recognize your work? Yeah, after a while, I said to myself, you know what? No one wants this truth on their walls, but because of the fact that I was taken off the street because they said I had a gift of gab and I was put into college, I said, you know what? I went into teaching and I said, I'm going to continue to draw what's in my heart, okay? I'm not concerned with receiving any monetary uh, awards for any of my art. I'm just going to continue to draw it. And I've been doing this for the last 50 years, mm -hmm. okay? And I'm just not going to stop. You've done a lot of other things, too. Tell me a little bit about um, sort of getting into teaching was kind of your calling in a way and, yeah. and some other things as well. Well, teaching was one of my gifts. And then uh, I, got a, I felt a little bit of pain because so many of my students that I worked so hard were being put into these large warehouses called jails. You know, and it was because there was a, a crack epidemic that was that in the 1970s that came down into our community and they just started arresting and destroying a lot of lives. And I said, hmm, you know what? I'm failing my children because they're winding up in jail. I said, I need to set up my own school. So I decided to become a professional model. Uh, everybody laughed at me. They said, you've got to be kidding. They said, Hill, you're not even good looking. You know? And I said, but I believed in myself so much. And I said, okay, but I'm going to try. And I went into the largest, biggest advertising modeling agency, which was called Ford Modeling Agency, mm -hmm. and they accepted me. Mm -hmm. And I was doing catalog. I was an all-purpose model. And then finally, I got caught up in beer, booze, and cigarettes. They were paying me $15,000 a day for that. And I got a little disturbed because all my life in the community, I was proselytizing, screaming out, telling people not to drink and smoke mm -hmm. and, because I never drank and I never smoked. And I figured that this was one of the things that was destroying us. And here I was on billboards smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, and I had to quit. Mm -hmm. It felt know, like a contradiction to you. It was a contradiction in <laughs> essence. I just, I just couldn't do it no more. You know? And I said, well, there goes the idea of my school mm -hmm. because um, I, I won't be able to afford it. And then I decided to become a director of a homeless shelter. And I started working with the homeless. And I started to see real life. Mm -hmm. And they explained and they taught, to, taught me so much about the streets. And I was watching them because these were people who were recycling bottles and cans. And I started to recycle lives mm -hmm. because I said, I know I can make a difference. And I got other people to join in to work with the homeless. So I went from educator, model, <laughs> I even starred in a movie. Oh. <coughs> yeah, it was Crackdown Big City Blues. Oh, what year was that? 
Uh, that was back in the uh, late 80s. Okay. What was okay. it about? It was about me being me mm -hmm. fighting against drugs. Okay. Of course, I got shot up in the movie. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Diana Ross's daughter, um, uh, I think it was her oldest daughter, was in the movie with us. You know, so it was quite a movie. Mm -hmm. It sold overseas. But the director, uh, he passed from this existence, so it never really got to hit the national spots, mm -hmm. you know. But I got paid, you know, for the movie, and it was, again, overseas. Mm -hmm. So, but I still got a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> when you made the transition from modeling to working at the, um, with the homeless, was there... Um, was there any resistance? Did they did they look up and say, "Hey, you're the guy on the billboards, and what are you doing here?" No, no, no. <laughs> the, the the resistance was um, with the people in my neighborhood. Okay, they got a little upset. You know, they said, "Hill, what's wrong with you, man? You know, people are doing crack. Okay, and you're not going to do this." You know, they were angry and all that other stuff because, in actuality, they were proud of me being on billboards. But I was trying trying to tell him, no, 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 this is for the wrong reason. You know, this is not what I want to put out for young people. So, but the homeless men, they they just wanted to eat, and they just wanted a place to sleep. And my art became an avenue after a while because I sold an art piece for three thousand dollars, and I was able to buy showers, you know, because the thing was that uh, we used the basement of the church, it was St. Anne's Church in Farragut Community, mm -hmm. and the fact that I could buy showers, I said, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to continue with this art because, you see, at 8 o'clock, the men took off their shoes, and boy, there was a street smell that just took over the place, mm -hmm. but with the showers, the men showered all night. They just wouldn't stop, you know. So, <laughs> you couldn't get them out of there. No, no. So they really enjoyed that situation. So I said, you know what? When it comes to feeding, when it, uh, feeding the people, because I, not only did I set up the shelter, but I would bring 70 to 80 people, you know, who were basically starving, hungry in our community. And I set up a feeding program. Mm -hmm. And the feeding program was really something that touched everybody's heart, mm -hmm. okay? Because uh, you never know how bad people are doing. And from the food, I was just knocked away because what happened was that I would go to the rich area, which is Metrotech, and I would basically begged them for the food that they had that they were going to throw away. Mm -hmm. So I would take all that food and I would bring it down into the projects. And people who were suffering, they would eat. I would have a long table and 70 to 80 people would sit down and we would fix them plates, knives, forks, and, and they would just eat a great meal. Mm -hmm. And I, for whatever reason, I always had enough food left over, mm -hmm. okay? And that blew my mind because there was one time I knew I didn't have enough food. 
And I said, oh my goodness. And all these people are going to show up. And I prayed. And we had so much food. And we didn't have any food. But we had so much food that I had leftovers. Mm-hmm. So I saw that as a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, so I said, wow, this is, this is my life. Right. So from now on, I'm going to use whatever I can, can get from my art. And I'm going to try to help the less fortunate. Okay, but this is what I did in New York. Mm -hmm. And I'm here in Atlanta, and the first thing I did was I set up the Jim Hill House. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's a house for the less fortunate. And what I did by that was I went to a lawyer, and I paid her money to set up the nonprofit, and I'm waiting for the nonprofit to become legal, and then I can open up my house. Mm Okay. So that's my dream. Right. Got it. Tell me um, a little bit about, I know there was one painting in particular that um, when you were in New York you displayed and um, it didn't go the way you wanted it to necessarily. Tell me a little bit about what happened. Okay. Now that picture was, uh, I called it the after church barbecue. And it was really played up big, you know, in the beginning at the Harlem State Building. and. The Asians, they were given something there and they covered the picture up. And then the officials, they kind of said, hey, listen, children are going to be here. But thank God for the curator, Greg Mills. He kept on fighting to uncover mm-hmm. and to show people because we had the same heart set. And it was art and he wanted this art to be seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, I kept that picture covered up in my own house after that, and it wasn't until coming to Atlanta on February 1st that I exposed the picture. Mm-hmm. And again, it got a lot of raves on it. Yeah, Describe the picture. What is it that people are responding to? Well, it's, it, I call it the after church barbecue, and it shows an African-American being burnt to death. But I got this whole concept from uh, the congressman, Lewis. John he, Lewis. Yeah, he mm-hmm. put out a book called Without Sanctions. And they talked about this particular black man who he was trying to get money for his mother and he went to the slave master well, it was really doing Jim Crow. It wasn't a slave master, even though it was still a slave master, excuse me. <laughs> but um, he asked for his money. And the fellow got upset. He took out a gun. And the young man threw the hatchet. And the hatchet hit him and killed him. So what they did was they took the man and they cut off all his fingers they cut off his manhood. They cut off his ears. And he never said a mumbling word. And then they started to burn him. And his eyes started to bulge out. And this was the only time he spoke. And he said, my God, my Jesus. And that moved me so that while I was doing the picture of the man being burned to death, All I did was cry and cry and cry, you know, because this was something that 
to me was so close to Jesus in his suffering. So I saw a connection and I understood his faith and it only gave me a greater faith, you know. So bottom line is that I will serve my God through my art. And that's basically what the picture was saying. How do you feel um, your art has evolved over the decades? Well, it's gotten more and more, uh, how could I say it, powerful to me. Because when I first started drawing, if you looked at my early mosaics, you will see that none of them have eyes. And I just didn't feel that I was human enough to draw anybody's eyes because to me the eyes are the windows to the soul. And since I didn't know that soul, I said, nah, I'm not gonna allow myself to draw the eyes. Mm -hmm. But as I grew in it and I got more confident and I prayed more, I began to draw the eyes on my figures, okay? And the pictures became more and more realistic, you know, almost to the point where people started to depict them as portraits unless they came up real close and saw the little pieces because I began to blend colors with the paper and the blending of the colors, you know, I can look at a human being being black, brown, yellow, or white, and I can draw the little shades in there, okay? And that became real, mm -hmm. that I was able to actually do portraits. So I went to Ghana, and I started to do portraits of the little children laughing and enjoying life. Mm -hmm. You know, so it really has involved. And the point is that I just hope it could bring out hope. I just hope it can help people to understand that what I'm talking about is our history, not just black history. And this is something that we went through. And for us to come closer together, we have to accept what went on in the past because to be ignorant of the past is to be ignorant of the future. Mm -hmm. Do you have, um, would you say that people who are interested in your work are all people or, or is it really just African-Americans who typically are interested? The funny thing about it is that um, it seemed to me that all people are interested, well, if you call people who are buying the work, mm -hmm. you know, um, I find that whites as well as blacks are buying the work, you know, so that was... You know, some are saying to me, especially the white folks, is saying that this is a masterpiece. You know, and the black folks that are buying it, they just say, hey, man, this is good art. You know, mm -hmm. I'd like to have this in my house. Mm -hmm. Okay, because it's our history. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like all types are, are gravitating to it. Mm -hmm. And other than um, your ultimate goal, which is to build Jim Hill House, what, um, what are you working on now? Well, what I'm working on right now is what I call kindergarten art. As an educator, I've been teaching for 30 plus years. And 
when I went into the kindergarten, I saw them creating masterpieces. And I said, wow, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create the art that the child sees, okay? Because in my humble opinion, you have to go back to the child in you to really be creative. And that's what I'm doing. And Jim, one last question for you. What, what do you think, um, what do you want people ultimately to take from, from your work? What do you want them to walk away with? Is it a feeling or I, something bigger? Uh, you know, when I was in the doctoral program, they were trying to confuse me. They said, you got to stop saying, I feel, I feel, I feel. <laughs> and you got to start saying, I think, I, I think, think, I, I think. think. <laughs> so, but I want them to get a feeling. Mm -hmm. And the feeling that I want them to get is love. To understand, you know, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be able to create this. And all that I create, in my humble opinion, I feel it is my life purpose to give it back. And basically, if they can just feel the love, because it was love that produced this work, and I guess I would be satisfied. Okay, because when I look out my window and I see the green grass, the blue skies, the brown bark, I said, wow, now that's a creator. I cannot even come close to creating on that level. And then I say to myself, well, let me at least try to go into the God inside me and see if I can create on this level so people could see how much I love and how much I love life and how much I'm trying to depict life so they can understand it's all about love. Now let's check on some events that are happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. First, let's head north to Dahlonega for the 13th annual Dahlonega Literary Festival. This celebration of books and authors happens in historic downtown Dahlonega with the goal of promoting interaction between readers and writers in a relaxed and informal environment. There will be speaking events and book signings and even lunches with some of the authors, including former Atlanta Journal-Constitution editor Valerie Boyd and Jocelyn Jackson, who recently wrote a story for our weekly Personal Journeys series. The two-day Dahlonega Literary Festival takes place on March 24th and 25th in downtown Dahlonega, and most of the events are free and open to the public. You can get more info at literaryfestival.org. The provocatively named Cigarettes After Sex, a quartet founded in El Paso, Texas, comes to Atlanta's Terminal West on March 28th. The band, now based in Brooklyn, New York, released its acclaimed self-titled debut album in June of 2017. It's a musically gentle and lyrically tart collection of songs that has brought to be in comparisons to the sleepy sounds of cowboy junkies, the hazy soundscapes of Mazzy Star, and the romantic pop of France in the 1960s. It's a sound that doesn't really have many contemporaries. It's a dimly lit, late night kind of music, perfect for the wee hours. That's Cigarettes After Sex, playing at Terminal West on March 28th, and those tickets are $20 to $22 and you can find them at TerminalWestATL.com. Another Texan, 
Leanne Womack will be here in Atlanta the following two nights, March 29th and 30th at City Winery. You'll find plenty of smoky nighttime tunes in Womack's catalog too, but her version comes with a big dose of cheating, drinking, and genuine country twang. You might remember her best from her huge 2000 hit, I Hope You Dance, which not only hit the top of the country chart, but also climbed to number 14 on the all-genre pop singles chart in Billboard. Five years later, she released There's More Where That Came From, which I wholeheartedly believe is easily one of the three or four best country albums of this millennium. It almost feels like a tribute to the late, great Tammy Wynette, right down to the gauzy cover image. That's how good it is. Her latest is another winner called The Lonely, The Lonesome, and The Gone, which was just released in October of 2017. Leanne Womack plays two nights at City Winery, March 29th and 30th, and those tickets are $30 to $45. You can get them at citywinery.com Atlanta. It is fun to have fun, but you have to know how, says a certain famous cat in a tall red and white striped hat. The Center for Puppetry Arts will bring all of your favorite moments from the classic Dr. Seuss tale to the stage. The Cat in the Hat takes place on a rainy day, but this show is sure to be a fun way to spend any kind of day as the cat takes Sally, Nick, and their pet fish on an unexpected and rhyme-filled adventure. This faithful adaptation of Dr. Seuss's tale was first produced by the National Theatre of Great Britain, but the Center for Puppetry Arts' John Ludwig has directed this version for the kids and the young at heart on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. Check out Dr. Seuss's timeless tale about curiosity and creativity and the challenges of responsibility at the Center for Puppetry Arts. It's playing now and runs through May 13th. Those tickets are $25, and you can get them and see the full schedule at puppet.org. For more things to do around Metro Atlanta, head to accessatlanta.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith, audio captured by Nedra Rohn. Podcast edited by Ryan Horn, music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. AJC Access Atlanta is sponsored by Northside Hospital Cancer Institute, built to beat cancer. Mm-hmm.